0: This um, this particular coming year, I believe this or not, two thousand twenty-one will mark thirty years since a war took place, a war that was different from every other war in human history. It was the first Gulf War. You may wonder what what made it different from every other war in history. Three letters: C. And, and it was the first time in human history that a, that a, a war could be recorded or, or covered live through satellite technology. Uh, were, the journalists at CNN were able to use, use their cameras, use all their equipment to bring us live updates. And the world, for the first time, was able to watch a war, if you will, on TV What's amazing about, the, uh, about this first recorded, if you will, this first recorded war, is what took place through it. And as, um, as, as one particular author, I'm going to read this, this, this uh, summary here, because it's so important what I want you to see. He writes this, After coalition forces drove Iraqi occupiers out of Kuwait, remember that, how... Um, Saddam Hussein, had, had, had the, the, the Iraqi forces, had gone into Kuwait and, and subdued it. Um, after, they had, after they were driven out, listen to this, U.S. Special Forces discovered in Baghdad this, this model, an intricate model, a war model that was used by the Iraqi forces to sort of get a sense of where they thought the U.S. forces were, how they were to align their forces. It was, it was a war map you know, that you would see like in the movies. And, and they learned from this war map that that uh, they had com- that the Iraqi forces had completely misunderstood where the American forces were going to be. In fact, the, the, the this, this uh, model pointed to- had all of the Iraqi defenses pointed toward the nearby uh, uh, seacoast. and that it was it was believed the Iraqis believed. Listen to this. The Iraqis believed that the U.S. forces were going to launch an amphibious assault, um, uh, uh, and, and were going to be coming from that direction. In fact, not only did Iraq, the, 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 the Iraqi forces believe that, the rest of the world also believed that. Do you know why? Because that's, just exact, that's exactly what CNN reported this is, the entire amphibious attack was actually an illusion. It was an elaborate ruse concocted by, remember, remember Storman Norman Schwarzkopf, right? His, his planners concealed that there was, there was a real attack. In fact, 150 miles to the west, U.S. Army ground forces were gathering and were getting ready to cut off all supply lines. So that it would, so that the ground attack would last a short time. If you remember what happened, it was five or six weeks of air attacks, and then how long was the actual ground war? It's a hundred days. It's one of the most effective uh, ground wars in, in, uh, in military history. Six weeks of bombing and a ground war again that lasted about hundred hours. And what's so important is to see is that Schwarzkopf used the media. To distract attention away from the planned offensive. Operation Imminent Thunder employed thousands of Marines for a phony amphibious attack, which began posturing itself in the Gulf in the January timeframe. And the media were invited to cover an amphibious rehearsal in nearby Oman. So think about this the first war in history that was covered by the, the news media. It was a war in which the news media was itself used as an agent of war. That CNN got it completely wrong without knowing it. They were used by the U.S. military to basically... Literally, uh, Saddam Hussein was watching CNN and using it as what they thought was reliable intelligence. And the point of that is that the real battle was not covered by the news media... Let me say that again. The real battle was not covered by the news media. And in the days of Nehemiah, in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, none of what they did would have made the news. It wouldn't have. Whether it's King Cyrus or Artaxerxes or or King Darius, none of these persons would have, there wouldn't have been this coverage, this journalistic coverage of what was going on in this really, this small, broken-down city called Jerusalem. No one would have known. And what's, so, what's actually quite ironic today is that that's, that time period, especially that Persian time period of the 400s BC, is one of the least known eras of human history. Did you know that? We just don't know much from that. There's not much remaining from that time frame relative to other areas. You know, there are centuries older that we actually know more about, but for whatever reason, the historical record, we just, have, we just don't know much from that time. In fact, our main source, one of the main historical accounts that we have from the time is can you guess? Ezra and Nehemiah. And so, what would have been basically overlooked in that century, the, the story of Ezra and Nehemiah, is actually now one of the main accounts that we have in history. And I want us to learn a lesson from that, because what we're going to see here in chapters 11 and 12, in some ways, seems rather anticlimactic. It's, it's really about three things. The first, the first two of which may seem anticlimactic, and the third, which is really the climax of the entire two books. So the first thing I want you to see is, this, is sacrifice, is simple sacrifice. In chapter 11... Verse 1. Again, what we're, we're, we're seeing here in Ezra and Nehemiah is the story of God's people as they come back from exile. They've been banished for over 70 years because of their sins, and now God has, is bringing them back, and they are slowly rebuilding, slowly recovering from all, the, from all of the, 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 the time that they have been away. And that the city of Jerusalem was, was burned down, its temple destroyed, its walls broken down, and it, nothing was left. And so the story of Ezra and Nehemiah is, this retu- is a story of the returning and of the rebuilding. First the altar, then the temple, then the city and the city walls. And we're hearing here, here this in chapters 11 and 12. We're seeing what is really the climax of that. So the, the, the walls have now been rebuilt, and the, the, the challenge is that actually no one has been living in Jerusalem precisely because it was a city without walls. And so we see in chapter 11, verse 1, a sacrifice that is made by various persons to, 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 to reoccupy and fill the city with people. Chapter, chapter, 1, chapter 11, verse 1. Now the leaders of the people settled in Jerusalem. The rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of every ten of them to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while the remaining nine were to stay in their own towns. The people commended all who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. Now this is just a story of simple sacrifice. It's a story of a people who are willing to stop and sort of do a out in their life and say what specific sacrifices are needed for the people of God right now. And what's so beautiful is what follows is a list of those who are willing to make that sacrifice. Think about it. These persons made church history. They made history forever by a simple decision to stop and say, how can we, as a family, rethink what we, how we should be serving the Lord very concretely? And it calls us to do the same. It invites us to ask the question, what specific sacrifice is God calling us to make for his people? What would that be? What would that entail? What would that look like? Is As we look around, maybe uh, uh, church family members who are in need, as we look around the facilities, as we look around to our, our neighborhoods, our context, what, maybe it's our work environment, are there, is there a specific sacrifice that may change the rest of your life that God is asking you to make in this same way. The second thing I want to see is, is not only a, 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 an act of sacrifice, but a lifelong service, a lifelong service. If you look in, the, in chapter 12, so beautiful, we see a long list of, of priests. Of priests and Levites all throughout chapter 12, and this list is a summary of all of the, of the Levites and priests who, who, uh, who, who served during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. This whole about approximately a uh, 100 year time frame, and it lists all of them, and it gives their names, and these are the persons who simply served faithfully throughout that time frame. And to us, it may seem somewhat anticlimactic, but really, again, these names are written down as those who are, were there who made it happen while Ezra was doing his thing, while Nehemiah was doing his thing. These were the persons, day in and day out, offering sacrifices, making, m- making the church happen, if you will. And it leads us to a, a second question. If the first question is, what specific sacrifice is God calling me to make right now? The second, the second point calls us to a more general question. What is my life calling? What is my life calling? Those of you especially who are younger, think of the, the things in your life, the burdens that you have. When you look out in the world, what are the things that really bother you, that, that make you sad, that trouble you, you can't get off your mind. Or what are the things that, that get you really excited, that really animate you, that impassion you, that move you to want to serve the Lord in a particular way? And sometimes we can even ask the question, what am I, what am I good at? What do I really enjoy doing? And, and, and the sky is the limit. All manner of things that God calls us to uh, All manner of things are are there in a way that we can... There's such an endless diversity of that life calling. And what's important to see is that it's, it's through these simple things of sacrifice and service that the kingdom happens. It won't be covered on CNN. It won't be covered on Fox News it won't be covered by, it won't be, it, won't make, it won't be seen on social media, but it's precisely those things that God's people do collectively through specific sacrifices and lifelong service that enable the kingdom to go forward, that enable the impossible to happen. So we see in the life of Jesus, we see, of course, sacrifice, We see Jesus himself in the same way that these individual persons uprooted from their towns and moved to the city of Jerusalem. In the same way that they relocated, we're about to come into an Advent season where we celebrate what? That Jesus himself relocated. That Jesus Himself came down, that he became human, that he entered into our world, that he took on our flesh and blood, that he entered that he walked in the same shoes that all of us walked, that he endured the same temptations, the same struggles, the same hardships. He relocated in an act of sacrifice for us. But not only that, through his whole life, and even now at the right hand of the Father, his he has a calling. An act of service, a lifelong service, if you will. That is to say, Jesus is our prophet, our priest, and our king. And he serves us in those three ways, endlessly. Ruling over the forces of darkness, interceding for us. Think about that right now. Right now, Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. He calls us by name. Many of you love seeing that song before the throne of God above? What a beautiful song that is. We just have to think that I right now have someone who is there interceding for me, who knows me by name and is praying effectual prayers. Prayers that are heard by the Father. That I have this advocate, this representative there day and night pleading my cause. So he is there, our Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, as, as the king reigning over all things, as the high priest interceding for us. And of course, as a prophet, one whose words are final, one whose words are ever reliable. Jesus said to his disciples, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So where is this all going? Where does, where does the sacrifice and the service, where does it lead to? Well, if you look in chapter 11, verse 27, we see what's really the climax of the entire book. It's this ceremony of the celebration of the conclusion or the, the building of, of the wall in Jerusalem. Let I me mean, read these words. It's such a beautiful ceremony. That, that we see uh, is arranged here by, by, by Nehemiah. Verse 27, he says, At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. The musicians were also brought together from the region around Jerusalem, from the villages, and he gives a, various, uh, a name of various places where they, they, they came from. He says, for, the, for the, uh, verse 29, for the musicians had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. Verse 30, when the priests and Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. And then we read Nehemiah, and Nehemiah says, verse 31, I had the leaders of Judah go up on top of the wall, I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. One was to proceed on top of the wall to the right, toward the dung gate. And he lists the various leaders who followed them. And then, uh, and then it speaks of the, the directions that they took, the ways that they went around and were to meet each other. And it speaks of how Ezra was leading the other procession. Verse 38, the second choir proceeded in the opposite direction. I followed them on top of the wall together with half the people. And it speaks of how they they came together. Verse 40, the two choirs that gave thanks then took their places in the house of God. So did I, together with half the officials as well as the priests. And it lists the various priests who, who, uh, who were there. The choirs sang under the direction of, of Jezreel, verse 43. And on that day they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. So I want you to see in this, 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 uh, what may seem to us fairly small, is a climax of a struggle to restore the city, to restore a people that's lasted a 100 years. If you remember Nehemiah, God first placing it, 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 into Nehemiah's heart a desire to rebuild the walls, it was thought to be simply impossible. There's just no way that this is going to happen. And we saw in chapters 4, 5, and 6. At times it seemed like Nehemiah was banging his head against the wall. And yet here we are, there comes a day when finally it's all done. And I want us to think about that. That there will come a day when this is all done. When the sacrifices that we have made will be no more. The service that we have given will be done and there will be, listen to this a new heavens and a new earth if you have your Bibles with me turn. I'm going to turn real quick to, to the book of Revelation it's such a uh, such a. we've been going through a Revelation on Wednesday um, Wednesday uh, evenings I'm sorry, Wednesday, uh, Sunday evenings and it's been such a joy to interact and to have that that sort of um, that sort of discussion as we as we as we wrestle through the, the beauty, the signs, the symbols of Jerusalem. And in chapter twenty-one, we see a picture of of a of a temple, of a new of a new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. And what's so amazing is to see is its description of the city. That it too is a city with walls. And we see here in verse 10, it says, um, John writes, And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It had had a great high wall with twelve gates, and with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were the three gates in the east, in the north, the south, and the west. Verse 14. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. This city is portrayed as a city whose walls are so uh, impregnable. This is a city that is utterly and perfectly safe, eternally safe. You and I are heading toward an everlasting city where there will be no death, no disease, no decay. There will be no disobedience, there will be no chaos, no unrest. We will live in a world that is ruled by the Lamb who is slain. Isn't that amazing to think that that day will actually come? And just like Nehemiah, thinking, I can't believe this day is here. The sands of time really are sinking. The world really is going somewhere, I and mean, in 2020 has been wow, right? But all the more, 2020 is to serve to remind us that this world is not our home. Amen? Mm -hmm. Hallelujah? This isn't it, gang. There's so much more. But what we can do in this time of struggle is we can stop and say, what sacrifice is he calling me to make? How is he calling me to trust him with my resources? My time, my energy, my relationships. What, what lifelong service is he calling me to? In the midst of all this carnage and chaos, I can set a trajectory for my life. I can say, I am burdened about these things. I, I am impassioned by these things. I love doing this, and I want to do it in the service of Jesus. And with that in mind, we keep our eye that there will one day be a celebration like no other. Will you be there? Will you be there? In Revelation chapter 20, we read that at the final judgment, the, throne, the, this, the this judgment of the great white a throne, that God will be there and all the nations will be gathered and he will judge them and books will be opened and the dead will be judged according to what is written in the books. And there will be what is called the Lamb's Book of Life. And just as there are these individual names here in, in, in Nehemiah 11 or, or this, this list of those who are serving priests and Levites, each and every person is named. Will your name be there in the Lamb's book of life? Have you surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you asked? Have you confessed your sins? Jesus, you already know. I mean, it's no, no, there's no secret here. He knows all the dirt on us. We might as well just own it to him and look to Jesus Christ as the one who died for our sins, the one who died in our place, the one who took all the wrath of God, who exhausted the flames of his wrath once and for all for us, who said, it is finished. Have we done that? And we said, you know what, I really don't know how to do this thing called life. And the more I'm in charge, the more I make it worse. So here's the throne. You take over. Here are the reins. You you jump in the driver's seat. You get to say what I do with my money. You get to say what I do with my body. You get to say how I use my words. You get to say how I should do my relationships. Because you are way wiser. You care about me more than I care about myself. Will your name be in the Lamb's Book of Life? Because we're, we're not a big party. It's going to be this massive celebration. It'll make what we read here in, in Nehemiah chapter 11 and 12, it'll make it seem just like nothing. Is your name in the Lamb's Book of Life? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, how easy it is to be distracted. How easy it is to live our lives according to the gospel of CNN and Fox News. Lord, how easy it is to just be filled with the sense that all that matters is happening on a screen. Oh, Father, we just we'd ask your forgiveness of the ways that we give more weight and more time to the news than we do to the good news, to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we rejoice that it is not the things that the world is about and all of its criteria of importance that matter to you. Father, we love that when the world is focusing on, on all of the, 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 uh, the various craziness that happens in politics, that you are focused on the widow with her two pennies, her two, with her might that she puts into the treasury giving all that she has. Father, thank you that you are a God who cares about acts of sacrifice, quiet sacrifice, as Ron prayed about. Father, we thank you for the many persons here at Good Shepherd who are doing that, who are quietly serving day in, day out, who notice things that need to be done and just do it. Father, how beautiful that is. Lord, would you open our eyes to the ways that you would have a sacrifice Father, we ask that you would show us, a place into our paths those who are in need. And Father, free us, liberate us, give us the joy of generosity as we pour out our lives for others. Father, would you bring clarity to our sense of calling? What is it that you would have us do? What is it that you would have us pour our time, our efforts, our energies into Father, bring clarity to that, that the body of Christ in all its diversity of gifting might be one, that we might serve as a body, that we might be generous to one another, that we might be giving to our community. Father, I pray that we would live in anticipation of that great celebration. I pray that we would have open hearts and open homes, that we would be those who are so ready to celebrate even now, the the, the victories that we have oh father make us a hospitable people even in the midst of a difficult time lord we love you we thank you so much for this beautiful story of ezra and nehemiah father so often our faith does feel futile but father you are the one who is faithful you are the one who is true you are the one who is unchanging and that you father are the rock upon which we stand you lord jesus christ are the anchor for our souls Oh, Father God, you are the one who in every way gives us a hope so that we might continue each and every day. And Father, we pray now, we long for your church to arise. Father, to, to, take, to take on its battle armor that we might be a church that is ready to serve you in the real war. We love you, Father, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.